I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. We have to do our values work. Mm-hmm. Values work is, you know, for you and I, it's like, this is basic. This is like coaching 101 yeah. basic work, like right? Air we breathe. Mm-hmm. But it is so vital. And for people that have not done this work before, it can be the most eye-opening work for this decision. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 572 with guest Kate Anthony. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. I, as always, am so incredibly grateful that you're here. And before we get into today's guest, I just want to make one quick announcement, and that is I have room for one, possibly two new clients for the new year. January is always a good time to reevaluate your goals, how you want to live your life. You know, I'm just wrapping up with a client who came to me and she wanted to be more direct in her life. She felt like she just wasn't having her voice be heard. She was, she kind of felt like she was being taken advantage of by by some people. And so that's what we worked on. We worked on baby steps in order to get her to be heard, you know, what to say, how to say it, who she wanted to say it to, how many steps she wanted it to be, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just one example of something that people bring to coaching. So if you head on over to andreaowen.com slash links, that's where you will see the page to read more about coaching as well as fill out an application. That application comes straight to me and we'll hop on the phone and see if it's a great fit. All right. Let's talk about today's guest because Kate Anthony is a is a multi-time guest. She's been on the show many times for several different conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. But today she's definitely coming coming to the show as a qualified person to talk about this particular topic. And when I read, you know, you maybe read the title of this podcast or when I read her bio, you may think, oh, it's not for me. I'm single or I'm in a good relationship. We do talk about things other than divorce. Uh, We're going to get into porn use in a relationship. We're going to get into addiction and mental illness in a relationship, even like emotional abuse and things like that. So it's, it's more than just about divorce. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Kate Anthony is the author of The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage, host of the critically acclaimed and New York Times recommended podcast, The Divorce Survival Guide podcast, and the creator of the groundbreaking online group coaching program, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, which helps women make the most difficult decision of their lives using coaching tools, relationship, education, geeky neuroscience, community support, and deep self-work. In addition to her online programs, Kate works privately with clients all over the world. And so without further ado, here is Kate. Kate Anthony, welcome back. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me, Andrea Owen. I'm so happy. You've been on many, many a times and I recorded yeah. an Instagram story. It's been a couple of months where I, do you remember? I tagged you in it where I played a clip of a previous episode that you were on where we were talking about how your dog shit out a scarf. That was and my I said, It's like an ass cape. <laughs> She did. And what was worse (laughs) was when I had to pull it out and she would be so freaked out about like what's happening. Cause like, you know, she would start to shit it out and then I would be like, oh my God. And I would have to pull it and she'd be running away. (laughs) I feel like the vet would tell you not to do that. Like, cause it can mess up their bowels and stuff. Probably needed a vet to do that. That would probably tell her not to eat the (laughs) scarf, but whatever, here we are. Here's my friend, Kate. She is an expert. But no, really. <laughs> you know, um, I, I want to get I want to jump in because I have so many questions to ask you and I want to make sure that we cover all of them. I want people to know from the get go that this episode is not just for people who are struggling in their marriage or their relationship. And um, but it's definitely going to speak to those people. But I, I think that a lot of what we're going to talk about is good for people to know ahead of time, mm-hmm. even if they're in a good relationship. Well, if they're in a good relationship, hopefully they don't, they don't need this. I mean, right. Like if they're in a good relationship, like awesome. You're not thinking about (laughs) whether you should stay or go. Right. Yeah. But I, I think that inevitably everyone sort of reaches a point where I heard a statistic somewhere, and you probably know this better than I do, that it it was like something like 95% of people in a relationship have somewhere along the way thought. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. Hmm. And the key is just to not for both of you to have that feeling at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also to sort of, th- I think also to address like, okay, why are you having that feeling? Right. Is this yeah. fleeting? Is this uh because I just want to like abandon my life and blow everything up and go live on an Island with like no humans around mm-hmm. me, which I think women do a lot. Uh, or like, I just want to go move to a commune with all the other women. Yeah. Or is it like there's something in this relationship that is really kind of devastating me and crippling me? And is it the relationship? Is it the other person? Or is it me? Yeah. Is it work that I have to do? Is like, have I given over too much of myself and my power uh, to this other human being or the relationship or the kids, right? Mm. Chapter three of my book is all about like, why are women so unhappy in their marriages? Mm-hmm. Because the way that this that the institution, the structure, the you know, the patriarchy has set this whole thing up is that men benefit from marriage and on the backs of the labor of women. And yeah. it by definition exhausts us. If that's the issue, right? Then there are conversations to be had within your relationship. The problem comes when you have the conversation with someone who's like, this is working for me. I don't know what your problem is. Right. (laughs) Right. As opposed to someone who goes, oh, wow, this is not working for one of the two people Mm -hmm. in the partnership. That that's a problem. Yeah. Right. You may have just answered actually the first question that I was going to ask you. And it's like, what is the very first thing that women need to look at when they're trying to make that decision? Maybe they've had the fleeting thought and they're not sure if it's something that they should really pay attention to you. Is that what the answer is? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that we need to look at is ourselves, mm-hmm. um, the self-work, because if we're in any form of unhappy relationship, right, we want to know, like, is it me? Is it him? Is it like, what is it? What's happening here? Um, and if you are really contemplating divorce, you are, um, you need to know whether you know, uh, like, are you going to repeat the same patterns? Like, is there mm-hmm. something in you that you're bringing to this relationship? Is there so, this like loss of a sense of self or whatever it is that is a pattern that you're going to repeat, whether you're in or in this marriage or another one or any other relationship. And so the self-work is the most important part, I think. And if you've been in an unhealthy, re- unhealthy relationship or toxic relationship or anything for any amount of time, we necessarily kind of dissociate to be able to get through the day to day. Right. Um, and as moms, we just do that because like we have to, we just have to, right. We just fucking have to. And so getting back in touch with, okay, who am I now? 
right? Not who was I, who am I now as a wife, as you know, outside of wife, mother, right? Who am I? And reconnecting with that capital S self or connecting with it for the first time, because if you're making a decision, like who's making the decision, who am I asking? Mm-hmm. Right. If I don't, if I don't know who I am, then I, who, how can I make a decision like that? I mean, food for thought, just in, in my experience. And, and by the way, like you help, you've helped me so much. And, you know, and in my decision to leave the marriage and like throughout the whole thing, I think one of the things that was so eye opening for me was that answering that question that you just talked about. It's like, who am I? And, for me, I realized that I was not stepping into who I was fully because I knew without a doubt that my partner was not going to like that person That's right. that I was That's right. evolving into, that I was growing into. And Absolutely. I was, I, mean, I was not wrong. <laughs> He's expressed to me. <laughs> well, no, you were not wrong at all. And I think that, you know, you listen in this work, right? And I think this is something that was present for you. And I think I can safely say this you know, we, we have to do our values work. Mm -hmm. Values work is, you know, for you and I, it's like, this is basic. This is like coaching one-on-one basic work, right? Mm -hmm. But it is so vital. And for people that have not done this work before, it can be the most eye-opening work for this decision. Mm -hmm. And like, in your case, you are somebody who you live and breathe personal development. Right. You are a personal development professional. You've written three books on it. You are thinking about going back to school for, you know, to becoming a, a therapist. Like this is who you are, the air that you breathe. And like, it is your, it is probably one of your deepest core values for better or worse, right? No judgment. You were married to someone who did not share that value with you. And that's a misalignment. Yeah. Right. And that's not, again, like I'm not making anybody wrong about that. But there's a right. And so for you to fully step into that part of like, if you can't bring that part of yourself to your marriage, like that, oh, I, I would imagine that would feel like a big disconnect. Well, and it eventually catches up with the marriage. And I think that particular yeah. value is different than somebody who perhaps is is very much into creativity and the arts and theater and things like that. And their partner just isn't into it as much. Like, I think right. you can yeah. have autonomy. It, it might sure. cause issues for sure. And you might be disappointed that your partner doesn't want to go see musical theater with you. But I, I think that there are different values that carry different weight. And that's something to look at. That's right. Yeah. One of the buzzwords in the personal development field and even just like on social media. And I know that because I follow you on Instagram and I know you have a decent amount of, of um, clients who are struggling with this and experts on who talk about narcissism. Like, but I feel like it's overused. Do you believe that there are as many narcissists as people seem to say that there are? You know, I didn't used to, I was always like, let's not die. First of all, we're not diagnosticians. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can't, and I, you know, I've never met these people. I can't diagnose them, whatever. Right. So I was like, absolutely not. And then I started doing more research for it for my book actually around this. And what I learned was first of all, narcissism is a spectrum. Sure. So I think like you and I even have like some tendencies. Sure. We probably do. Right. We all, I mean, frankly, we all do. Right. I think when people say like, oh, but they're not narcissists, they're really talking about narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. which is pretty rare, but also under probably underdiagnosed because they don't actually seek treatment right. for things, right? They, they may go they tend in to be and pretty successful treatment. humans usually. <laughs> right. They're miserable, but they think it's everybody else's fault, right? So they may get diagnosed when they go into treatment for something else, like an addiction or something, but you know, they're not out there seeking help and treatment. It is underdiagnosed in that way, but also it is more prevalent than we think or than we forever knew. Mm-hmm. I think we're now becoming a, more aware of it and we're a, there's a name for it and we're able to name it and we're able to, we can see the personality, the, the personality types, the, you know, the characteristics. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see it more, right? And then I think you have in the last six, seven, eight years when it's been playing out more on the national stage and it it's becoming more accepted and lauded, right? right? We are celebrating these people 
that I think I think people are kind of stepping out of the shadows a little bit more. They're being a little overt with their behaviors. There's a little bit more entitlement happening. I just kind of feel like the curtain's been pulled back a little bit more mm-hmm. on the topic. And I do think I do think it's more prevalent than we thought. Yeah, I saw I saw it either it was I mean, it's probably on TikTok, but I was a woman and she was speaking of heterosexual marriages and how many women are saying that their partners or husbands are narcissists. And she, her whole point was, is he a narcissist or is he just an entitled man who was raised in a patriarchy? Right. Right. Well, uh, and I don't know that there's a difference. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like slightly different outfits. (laughs) Uh, Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, exactly. This is like, we create this. We, we celebrate this. We nurture this. It's certainly in men. Is he a narcissist or just an asshole? It's like, well, does it, do you want to be married to either one? Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I don't don't want either one. Right. So the label, here's the thing is that I see a lot of people looking for the label and trying to diagnose because somehow it'll make things make more sense for them. And if you're seeking a diagnosis, even like a layperson diagnosis or whatever, and if like the shoe fits, whatever, and you're looking at that, be looking for that because it, it helps you feel like you're not crazy and it gives you answers to feel like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's what's been happening for me and to mm-hmm. me. Great. But if you're looking, what I often see is women looking for this diagnosis so that they can then run back to their partner and be like, see, 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 you're a narcissist. If you just stop that, everything would be okay. And like using it as a tool to try to change them, they won't change. Like that's, it's not, mm-hmm, it doesn't work that way. Right. So if it is a tool of empowerment for you, great. If you're using it as a tool to try to fix things, it's you're you're beating your head against a brick wall. As someone who, and I I, I definitely don't think that my soon to be ex husband is a narcissist, but as someone who has tried in their marriage to say, here are all the ways I think you can improve. Please understand that that didn't work. <laughs> right. Never do recommend. <laughs> do not recommend. Like literally, like I don't know, like in the history of ever. Right. Listen, I went to my I went to my ex husband and I was like. You're abusing me. Don't you understand? Look, this is what they say. Like these are the these are the signs that you what you're doing is abuse. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, like, well, surely he says he loves me. Mm-hmm. And surely if he's he gonna fall lo- to his knees and say, I'm so sorry. How can I I'm get so sorry? Oh my God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be abusing you. That's terrible. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened at all. I mean, eventually, frankly, it did, but that was, you know, 13 years later. 13 years later and a divorce. (laughs) Right. And two divorces. Right. Exactly. Exactly. When the second divorce happened, it was like, oh, like you can't hide from this anymore. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, okay. Speaking what we need to take a quick ad break, but when we do, I want to come back and talk to you about emotional abuse. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 
Okay, we're back. So, and again, emotional abuse is one of those things that gets thrown around a lot, but like, what does that actually look like in a relationship? Can you give us some examples? So there, I think there are two key factors to emotional abuse. One of them is gaslighting and the other is coercive control. Um, Coercive control underpins all forms of abuse. And it is when somebody uses coercion to try to control you and manipulate you. And gaslighting is a tool of that. So uh, gaslighting is very is a very specific thing. It is gaslighting is not just like he, he's lying to me. Yeah. Gaslighting is somebody is denying your reality to the degree that it actually makes you question your own reality. It's it's saying like, I never said that. I never said that. I never said that when you know perfectly well that they did. But now you're starting to question your memory, your ability to remember things correctly, right? And one of the symptoms of emotional abuse is that you do start to, over time, develop a brain fog where you actually can't remember things. And so it's easier for them, easier for them to manipulate you and have you doubt your reality when you actually don't really remember. There are, I know, I mean, it's there's so much to emotional abuse, you know, using intimidation, threats, right? Mm-hmm. Isolating you from friends and family, that kind of thing. One of the, so there, I have a few symptoms in, uh, in that I list in the book. One is an imbalance of power. Often this will, this will show up financially where, you know, your husband will go out and buy himself a Mercedes and like you have a Ford, no judgment, right? But like there's an imbalance in how the money is spent. There's an imbalance. They'll use control tactics to make you feel emotionally powerless, right? You're scared (laughs) of the person that you're supposed to be in this intimate relationship with. You know, it's rather than looking at what an emotional abusive relationship looks like, I like to look at how you feel in your relationship, Mm -hmm. right? So if you feel like you can never do anything right, they will, they'll, they'll constantly be telling you what you need to do to make the relationship okay or to make them not angry or to whatever. And then you'll be trying to hit that target, but then the target moves or you're mm-hmm. absolutely sure that you hit the target, but you're still being told like, mm, but that wasn't quite right. Right. So it is, it's a forever moving target. You feel extreme highs and lows. Yeah. Right. Like the most intense love, like biggest love that you've ever experienced in your entire life. And then just like emotional decimation, Mm -hmm. which creates sort of as part of the cycle of abuse. When you get addicted to the highs, the dopamine hit from the highs, you know, when you never know who's going to walk in the door, right? You don't know which version of of your partners is walking in the door the next day. You feel like you're always to blame, right? No matter what you do, like they don't really take responsibility or if they do, they only take responsibility for a little bit of it. So it looks like they're taking responsibility, but really it's your fault. Um, as I said, you feel confused, foggy or unclear. You feel like the relationship is one-sided. You're the one who's doing all the work all the time. And then there's also, you know, it's really common for victims of abuse to report having chronic health problems, um, even autoimmune diseases, yeah. because we have, there's, there's this excess of cortisol that's being shot through all the time. So many stress hormones over a long period of time can create autoimmune diseases. And it's really common for people who get out of abusive relationships to have all their symptoms kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I, I would say to look for. Like yeah. less, it's less of, again, like getting the focus off of them, but how do you feel? How do you mm-hmm. feel in this relationship? Do you feel safe? Do you feel safe in being fully self-expressed? Like we talked about, do feel you safe feel and seen, mm-hmm. right? Safe and seen. Do you feel that you can go out with your friends and not get like a litany of texts, uh, you know, some form of distraction, right? Yeah. When you go out with your friends your partner should be like, Hey baby, have a great time. I'll see you when you get home. Yeah. Just text me when you're on your way home and you should probably not hear from them the rest of the night. Yeah. Right. My ex-husband would just sort of a barrage of calls and like, you know, later, later on when we got cell phones, right. There would be texts like streams and streams of texts when I was out supposed to be having a good time. It's the power and control. Well, um, yep. well, and the book is the D word, making the ultimate decision about your marriage. And of course that link will be in the show notes. What if someone's marriage is like, what What kind of thoughts do you have when someone says their marriage is fine? 
well, depends on who's saying it. If, if I know them and I know their relationship, right? Like there are a couple people who are like, do healthy marriages actually exist? And I'm like, yes, I actually know a few. It's yeah, they're wonderful to they're yeah, mm-hmm. they're wonderful to observe. But when they say it's fine, I, I don't know. I go like, well, fine. Like, does that what do you want fine? Do you want? Is that mm-hmm. what you want? Do you want fine? I mean, look, long-term marriages, right? Like they go through their ups and downs and like, sure, maybe they're fine. When people say it's fine, I think of my friends who are like, no, it's fine. I'm like, oh, ouch. Like, I don't think it's actually fine. Right. I don't mm-hmm. want to settle. I don't want to settle. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want a life that's fine. This is it guys. This is it. We just get the one. We just get one trip around this, this thing. Mm-hmm. And we just get, and like, I'm 52. Like we are not getting, I hate to say it, Andrea, I'll <laughs> try as we might. We're not getting younger. God damn it. Fucking yeah. Hell. Well, right? and, you know, and it's, and I, I know a lot of my listeners are our age and, and younger and older, but I, I also think like, this is in many ways, the prime of our life. You know, this is like our, yes. some of our best years, as long as we take uh-huh. care of ourselves and all that good stuff. And, and I just, I think that one of the things that I I realized, and I, this might sound so dumb and people probably like, did you not think about that before? I heard somewhere and someone said, your, your partner or your spouse is the primary relationship in your life. Yeah. And yeah. I think maybe I didn't think about it, you know, cause my kids have been young and, you know, now they're teenagers and like, they're kind of like the, the pulling away phase has happened. Yeah. And I, what I have said, said to people is it's a whole lot easier to ignore the problems in your marriage when your kids are little. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100% because you're busy, right? And you can like, mm-hmm. you, you can more. make the excuse of like tag teaming and like, oh, you take one, I'll take the other, right? And you can kind of satellite each other, exactly. through, right? And then when the kids get older and you're like, it's just like you two in the living room together and like you, the kids aren't even there for dinner or whatever. And you're just yeah, like, like, you're my person. Oh, you, mm-hmm. huh? Hi. <laughs> Hi. Right. Yeah. And for many couples, that's an opportunity. Yeah. But for many couples, it's a harsh reality. Mm-hmm. It can go either way. And I think that sometimes um, it can kind of ebb and flow back and forth and, and not saying like, you know, once your kids become teenagers, you're doomed. But it's just, I think it's a, it's a really great opportunity to take inventory of like, are you happy? What are your values? Are you able to, you know, be your full self? Are you feeling safe and sane? Like all those things that we just talked about. Do yeah, you? I'm curious. Right? Like, do you see these same dynamics? I'm guessing that you don't see these same dynamics in non-heterosexual relationships. Um, I see many of them. They're different. Um, so many of them are. Look, we all have been raised in the patriarchy, uh-huh. so nobody gets out unscathed. Yeah. No matter what gender or what your sexuality is. Yeah. Totally. And I do see this playing out with uh, the lesbians that I've worked with. Surprise, there are abusive women in the world and there are abusive lesbians in the world. And so I have worked with women who, whose spouses are abusive or, or um, whose wives are, you know, workaholics and neglectful in the ways that many men are. Mm-hmm. Um, in relationships where they're career driven and they just sort of figure you've got the house, you've got the house and kids and, and they don't give the time and energy and committed attention to the relationship that it really requires for a long-term relationship to survive and thrive. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yes. And I'm, and I, I address it in the book. I really do say like, mostly this was a book for, for cis hetero women, mm-hmm. And I do see many of these things playing out in lesbian relationships. So I try to keep the pronouns pretty, pretty gender neutral throughout the book, except there are some specific sections in which I say, like, this is pretty much a male, female, cis hetero, um, dynamic. I know that I want to kind of circle back because I know we sort of joked about people who are, you know, abu- abusive and, and them like not wanting to, to get help for it. But do, can yeah. can abusive people change? Yes and no. My ex-husband is a is a really wonderful example of somebody who has really had to face some hard truths about um his behaviors and get a lot of help for it. And he's really changed his behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I can attest to that. I have I have had conversations with him and I and I believe you. Yeah, no, exactly. I do think 
that that is true. I also believe narcissists can't change. You know, it kind of breaks my heart because, and and I and I can call my ex husband a narcissist because he was diagnosed. Because the ultimate narcissist, the narcissistic wound is not a healable wound. And so he will always be somebody who is seeking external validation to fill the void in himself. And because of his recovery work, he's had, he's like had to remove the tools that he used to do, to do that. Mm -hmm. But the hole is still there. And it's, and it's really, um, it can be really sad to, to watch, right? It's like really tragic because my God, he wants to change. Mm -hmm. He wants to change. And I know that he, um, on most days has, is just so much better and happier than he's ever been. But there is an underlying thing where he's not, he's not getting his fix and he doesn't know what to do. And it's really difficult. So yes, they, listen, they can change behaviors. I mean, they often don't until the shit hits the fan and they completely bottom out and have what's called a narcissistic collapse, which is, you know, what happened to my ex-husband where, you know, narcissists process shame outwardly, right? It's everybody else's fault, everybody else's fault, everybody else's fault. And then a narcissistic collapse, it's like in a moment, every ounce of shame from their entire life that they've been processing outwards turns and faces them Mm -hmm. and hits them squarely. and it's fucking devastating. Like if you think of all the shame that you've ever felt in your entire life, which mm-hmm. for most of us is a lot, right? So. And you were never feeling it and you were never right and you were projecting it outwards and then all of a sudden one day it all turned on you and you oh, like you want to take your own life like yeah. yeah. Well, he he did. I mean, yeah. he was it was it was awful. And so that's, you know, that happens. And then what you choose to do with that is that's a choice. You know, it's a yes. It's a yes, and yeah, it's interesting because like, I've I've questioned myself, but and I'm like, am I a narcissist? Because like, <laughs> I don't always behave the best. But like the the one quality I think that sort of separates, and, and you would probably be better to speak to this, is like, I am very much willing to like take responsibility for my own stuff. Like, right. I very That's much right. acknowledge and can like clean messes up, and yeah. I know I don't like to admit it, but like I know I'm not you know, like, I know it's not everybody else's fault. Like, sure, people have done some behaviors that I don't love, but like, I bring my own shit to the table every single day. That's and right. And I'm willing to That's like, right. you do. hear someone when they tell me about it, clean it up and also work on changing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, for better or worse, you have like sufficient levels of shame around various mm-hmm. things that you've done in, in your past. And like, right. Yeah. When you took away you know, let's say alcohol or, you know, some of the coping mechanisms that you use to to deal with that stuff, like you had to sit in it and you were yeah. willing to. It's not easy. Mm. Mm. No, it's it's not. It's gross. It's not. We're going to take one more break. <laughs> and when we come back, I want to ask you about more mental illness stuff. So I'll be right back. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So how do you talk about in the book, like how do you address addiction and or mental illness if someone is in a partnership or marriage where that is present? The, the most pressing question is, does the, does the person that you believe has a mental illness or um, addiction, do they also believe that they have a problem and are they willing to seek treatment for it? And if the answer is no, then the way that I really address it in the book is then, you know, the work is like, we can't control what other people do. So the work is yours. So what are you going to do with that? Are you then going to, again, keep like hammering them and yammering them? Like you have a problem or you're sick or you're like, who's going to hear like you have mental illness, (laughs) Right. (laughs) right? And be like, huh. Right. And so, and also depending on the mental illness, right? If you're dealing with someone who's bipolar, for example, like if if you catch them in a in a manic episode, like they're fucking great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, depending on what it is, right? And so the question then becomes, what are you gonna do about this? Right. And then it's and and with addiction, it's exactly the same thing. Listen, God invented Al-Anon for a damn good reason. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we cannot control. Like literally there's an entire 12-step program for the people to figure out that they can't control the actions of the addicts in their lives and their partners, you know, and and to recognize the, the enormous gap in ourselves. Like when all of our, you know, Al-Anon was founded by the wives of the alcoholics who's founded AA. Mm-hmm. Because they were going every day to the AA meetings with their husbands and they were like in the kitchen making coffee and they started talking and realizing that, you know, I invested 25 years of my life in trying to get this man sober. Now he's sober and now all he wants to do is spend all his time with these other alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Like, don't I deserve the, you know, the, the attention and the treatment, Mm -hmm. right? And really it's because like we had this, they had this huge hole in their lives when like their whole lives were focused on getting these men sober. Now the men were sober. Now who am I? Mm -hmm. And that's what we all, like so many of us struggle with. If they do get sober, we were like, oh, well now what do I, well now what am I supposed to do? And he's Mm -hmm. going to AA meetings and he's not home. He's still not home. And, or they don't get sober. Right. And like, who am I? And I'm just spending my life, spinning my wheels, trying to get him sober. Right. And so there's a lot loss of self and identity. And so listen, if the person that you're with is willing to get help, then like amazing. Yeah. And that's their journey. It's their path. Um, and you have to give other people the dignity of being on their own path. And then you have to look at your own path and be like, wait, am I even on my own path? What is my path? Yeah. Because right now I've just been on this other path that's been so focused on this other person. And that's not my path. Yeah. That's not your path. That's a hard place to get to, but one mm-hmm. and and I I want to say too, like you can bounce back and forth sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not linear sure. that you jump paths and I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when your waking thoughts are really consumed with what is this other person doing and how are which was very common. It's not entire, but it's very common. The problem then is we, you know, you've got to face you mm-hmm. and address your your own stuff, right? Because yeah. we can't control them. We just can't. Yeah. I mean, that was like really my intro into personal development. Like that's really what sort of shot me out of a cannon is because I'd, I'd always been kind of like interested in personal development. And then when I was in love with an addict and I went to uh, rehab with him for like family week and they were talking about all this self-help stuff. And they were like, you're codependent. And I was like, shut up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of my face. You know what you're Um, talking about. That was so (laughs) 
I mean, just honestly, like, and I still have my journal entries from the, <laughs> and I can, I, you can see the shift of when I started to type out, like, I am not responsible for his behavior. I cannot control his sobriety, his recovery. I can, like, I, it brings me tears to my eyes when I read that. Cause I'm like, oh, I was finally starting to get it. And then yeah. little did I know the, the, the road that was ahead of me in terms of like my own work. Oh my <laughs> I had God. known I might've turned around and gone back. <laughs> Dude. I know there are times when I do, I think, oh my God, I wish I could turn back the clock and like, just make myself oblivious. <laughs> I know, Cause I don't that, like, you I don't, don't know actually, what you don't know. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be great? I think about like, I want to be like, I want to work. It's like a, like a, like a, at a convenience store in the middle of nowhere and like, just like have my little job and have my little life and like my dog or whatever dog. And, <laughs> and, right, and not know anything about trauma or like obvious. anyway, you did right? in another lifetime and yet here you are. Yeah, and yet here I here. am. Right. Exactly. Okay. I want to ask you about, let's talk about sex for a second because can you talk about sexual abuse in a marriage and like, just like the emotional abuse question, like, what does that look like? You know, sexual abuse in a marriage looks like a lot of different things. It can look like infidelity. It can look like sexual coercion, marital right. rape, right? I mean, this yeah. is like marital rape. <laughs> there's no such thing in my, in my view, there's no such thing as marital rape. Rape is rape. So here's some signs of sexual abuse in a marriage that I list in my book. Um, you agree to have sex because you're afraid of what will happen if you say no, mm-hmm. right? If you wake up in the middle of the night and your spouse is having sex with you, no, you no. have not consented to right. that. It's not okay. If your partner wants to engage in sex acts, you find uncomfortable, but they do it anyway. If they refuse to practice safe sex, um, they force their decision about pregnancy, birth control, or abortion on you. They withhold sex as a punishment. They, you know, they keep going even after you've said no. They insult or criticize your body. Mm -hmm. I did not know that that is a form of sexual abuse. That happened to me like throughout my entire marriage. And I was like, oh, interesting, right? They coerce you to watch porn with them. Listen, there are many people that have the, for whom porn is a very healthy Mm -hmm. uh, part of their sex life as a couple. But if you're not comfortable with it and your partner coerces you to do it, or if your partner is off in the basement watching porn 24-7, like yeah. that's a problem. If they use insults about your body to justify watching porn or cheating on you, if they withhold resources until they get the sex that they want, they only satisfy themselves sexually and they don't attend to your needs. They demand sex regardless of your physical or mental state. Like I'm sick, but it doesn't matter. You have to have sex with me. Um, or they actually just physically force you to have sex. I mean, like actual, actual rape. The, the, the most upsetting thing about this that I discovered in researching this is that up until 1993, rape statutes defined rape as forced sexual intercourse with a woman, not your wife. So they so, specified that it was a woman. So that means like you couldn't rape a man. That's right. Um, that's right. And they ma- that made it completely legal for a man to rape his wife. Yeah. Right? In 1993, marital rape became a crime in all 50 states. However, in 30 states, there are still exemptions given to a husband who doesn't have to use force because his wife is mentally or physically impaired, unconscious, or asleep, and therefore unable to consent. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Which and I, I from what I understand, it's very, very hard to prove, and like rarely. Gets. Absolutely, no, it does not get it. Mm-hmm. It no, exactly, exactly. So you know, again, this is one of those things where it's not like you're going to bring it to your spouse and be like, "You're this is actually rape." Um, this is information for you, right, the listener? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. This is information for the for you to understand that like this. Oh, oh, I see. This is what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Maybe this is yeah. why my body clamps down. Maybe this is why you know. I. But this is why I dissociate them. Mm-hmm. Right. This is happening. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I have that. Uh, a lot of women ask that question um, in my Facebook group a lot of the times. Like, I just find him absolutely repulsive. What's wrong with me? And you kind of dig into it and it's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. He's been raping you. Like, of course you're not attractive. Your body knows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your body knows. Yeah. Because your body keeps the score. It sure does. 
<laughs> I want to ask about quickly because you mentioned because I see I'm in like a lot of like mom Facebook groups and and without fail I think at least you know once a month I see a, a post in there from a woman who is upset because she caught her husband watching porn and like am I I'm like am I the odd woman out who's kind of like it's fine. Like, and then that's because that's my yeah. opinion. I'm like, it's sure. it's fine as long as you are having a discussion about it. I definitely think those people should go to see a couples therapist who specializes in sex therapy because they're not all created equal. That's because right. It can be something that you can bring into your marriage. And if the, you know, I'll just I'll speak heteronormativity here. If the woman is uncomfortable with it, like I don't think she should have to um, participate in it if she doesn't want to, but I do think it can be just like not a big deal in a marriage. Yeah. What's your thought? I think it, well, I think it really depends, right? Like it really bothered me when I was married. Like it really bothered me. It used to bother me, me too idea. in my first marriage, but it was all my own insecurities and shame around it. Well, to be honest, I, I, I think it was my insecurities and shame around it, but I also think it was my insecurities and shame as it was, I brought some insecurities and shame to the table, but also my, I think my husband really supported those insecurities by mm-hmm. criticizing my body oh, okay. and making me feel like I wasn't attractive and all of those things. Right. And so look, if someone is like, if, if they are hot to trot for you and then they're watching porn too, like, <laughs> all right, whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, and then there's an open discussion about it. I think it's the secrecy and it's the, it, yeah. you know, it's the, sh- and I, and I think you're right. I mean, having a therapist who is sex positive and, um, a couples therapist who is sex positive and a, a sex therapist like like yours, this is somebody who is going to sort of bring a different level of understanding to um, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Where it's problematic is when we're not talking about it, and, and maybe there's shame involved with your with your spouse who's doing this in secret, right? Oh, like hey. I found out, right? Because it's not like. Hey, my husband came and told me this thing and I'm like, whoa, it's, it's, I found out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in my, my feeling about sex in my relationships is that that's a special thing between you and me. Mm -hmm. And then when I find out that you're like in the bathroom in the middle of the night watching porn, to me, it feels like infidelity. Okay. And so I think we need to define in our relationships, these are the things we don't name, mm-hmm. right? There is no designed alliance <laughs> about what constitutes cheating in yeah. relationships, right? And I think we have to have those conversations, like really, really, really name the shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and shit, stuff's going to come up that we don't name, but then we have to actually sit down and talk about it. Yeah. I mean, everything from flirting to some people think that flirting is infidelity and then other people think that like kissing isn't. And right. it's like, right. you got to be specific. And I think everyone deserves to be heard. Like no one gets to be uh-huh. wrong. Yeah. And I think it's important. Like, you know, it's like, oh, my husband was messaging with like his old girlfriend from college and I found these messages on Facebook hmm. Messenger mm-hmm. and like they were like, you know, really flirtatious. And he's like, I didn't do anything. Right. I didn't do anything. I didn't cheat on you. Well, like who gets to define what the cheating is? Yeah. That's dangerous waters. <laughs> that's dangerous waters. Right? It's like you yeah. didn't cheat yet. <laughs> right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is a whole other conversation. I want to ask you one more uh-huh. question before we close up. And sure. that is, you know, I've heard that, and I've had clients who, who, who've told me this, you know, they've tried to have the divorce conversation with their partner and, you know, numerous times, like, and, and like, and partly like they're, they tell their partner that because they're like, Hey, if these things don't change, then I can't stay in this marriage. Like how is there something that they, that they can say to really make it stick or really make their partner understand how serious they are? Oh yeah. I have a, I have, I laid out in the book. There's a script. There are places that it goes wrong. The first is the expectation. Most of us have an expectation that when we have this conversation, we're going to get agreement or permission Mm -hmm. um, or understanding. And that's not what this is, right? If you're actually done, like there's two, there are different versions of this conversation. There is the version of the conversation where I'm saying, if these things don't change, I'm going to have to leave this marriage. That's giving your partner an opportunity to do some work and change a few things. And that's wonderful. Be specific. 
be very specific. Not I just have like, client... I want you to be more romantic. Like, what the hell does that mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And not just like, you know, I need you to be less of an asshole. Like, what does that mean? When you come home from work, please don't yell at us. Right. Be very specific because you they don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> but if this is a conversation that is like, oh, no, no, I'm done. Right. And by the way, if you're having the conversation, that's not the I'm done. That's like, I'm giving you time. Put a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. Just say, I'm going to, we're going to check back in in three months and I'm going to tell you how, how I feel, mm-hmm. you know, or in one month or in three weeks, like whatever feels right to you. And I would say, give it a little bit longer because you're going to watch the actions and you want long-term actions. Three months is two months is around the time it starts to break down and like go back to normal. And so if you're having the actual conversation where you're saying, I am done with this marriage, this is a declaration. This is not a conversation. This is not a, you're not asking for permission. You're not going to get agreement. He's not going to be like, oh, okay. Um, There will be pushback. This conversation has one objective, which is to get the information across that this marriage is over. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that when they start with like, but what are we going to do about the house? And who are we going to do this? And what are we going to do? And divorce is bad for children. And like all of those things, your job is to bring it back to that objective. We have a lot of decisions that we have to make in the future. We have time to do that. I really hope that we can do this as collaboratively as possible for the sake of our children. Mm-hmm. For today, I just want to make sure that we are clear and that you are clear that this is my final decision. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to like freak out and they're going to go in this direction and that direction. They're going to like keep trying to go in different directions. And your job is to simply bring it back to the your narrative, right? You can't get on the train with their narrative. Yeah. This is not the opportunity to litigate all the problems in the marriage. Yeah, but you said this and I said this. And like you said that if I did this, I everything would be fine. I understand that you're upset. And I know that this isn't what you want. Unfortunately, we are at the end of the road here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's you, it's your job to maintain control of the narrative and, you know, really keep it simple. And then you got to end the conversation, right? Then you just got to be like, listen, I understand that you're upset. I want to give you time to, to, to process this. The last thing you want to do is then like immediately call the lawyer and immediately get the ball rolling and immediately have them served when they're still like, wow, mm-hmm. what's happening, right? You need to give them some time to process this. And so say, listen, take some time to process this. Why don't we touch base at the end of the week? And then what's going to happen is tomorrow, all of the jobs in the house that you've been asking them to do for... <sighs> two years are going to be done. Um, They're going to jump into action and do all the things that you've been asking them for a decade to do. And what that tells you, so what my, (laughs) God love him, my ex-husband, when I finally broke the news to him that I was done, two weeks later, he came to me and he said, I'm just so sorry. I just never thought you'd leave. And I was like, oh, so you knew that this was not okay. You could have done all sorts of things to change it. You opted not to because you actually thought you could continue to get away with it. Yeah. Right. And so somebody who then turns around and does all the things that you've ever wanted them to do, all the jobs in the house, and they're bringing you flowers and they're doing this and they're doing that. What they're telling you is they could have been doing this all along. Mm-hmm. They're capable. They just didn't think they had to. Yeah. You know, and look, if you want to give it another shot, because they're actually finally doing the other, all the things you can say, like, listen, I see that you're actually doing all the things. So apparently you were capable of doing it. Let's see how that goes for the next three to six months. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Listen yeah. to your gut. Yeah. And usually it doesn't last more than a month. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. So yes, it is a conversation and then you will have to revisit it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause when they're doing all the things, then they go into denial and they're like, see, I'm, I'm, everything's great. And then you just want to the next week go, Hey, honey, I, I, I see that you're doing all these things and I'm really happy mm-hmm. to see that you're doing them. And I just want to make sure you, you're clear that I'm still done. Yeah. Like this, I'm still moving forward with this. Yeah. I heard a statistic once that. Women who initiate divorce, which women are more likely than men to initiate divorce, by the time that they do, they have been ready to go for on average of six years. Yeah. The thing that we have to be careful of 
is to not, because what we want to do is like, we've done for so long. We've processed this. We've grieved this. We're like, oh my God, finally done. Now, like I told him, let's go. Let me get the fuck out of here. No matter how long you have been having this conversation, this will be news to them. This will be life altering, Mm -hmm. life shattering. It will be such a shock. They will be quote blindsided. Mm -hmm. Whenever I hear a man say like, I was just so blindsided. I didn't see it coming. I'm like, mm-hmm. Sure, zero clues, <laughs> my dude. Right. Right. So many signs, as Taylor yeah. Swift says. Yeah. The D word, making the ultimate decision about your marriage. Where do you want people to go to learn more about you? Because you have like the Facebook group and you have like, yeah. programs. KateAnthony.com slash D word. Or just if you go to my website, it says book. Click on that. There is a page of information for how to buy the book without tipping off the person that you are trying to make this decision about, right? Mm. This is not something that you want in your shared Amazon or history, probably. Um, So I have ideas for how to, how to get the book safely Mm -hmm. and privately, but it is available everywhere. Everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. The bookstore. You want to buy it. They go to the bookstore and grab it. Yeah. Go to the bookstore. bookstore. Mm -hmm. And I just want to add one more thing as someone who's like in the midst of this. I think if anyone's listening who decides to leave their marriage and you have children. Yeah. Your children are watching how you handle conflict. That was one thing I was not expecting. I I mean, I won't go into more detail, but I think that as much as you, and as someone who's a child of divorce and watched my parents handle conflict, Oof. watched them handle it very differently. And yeah. 30 years later, yeah, it's been 30 years this year that my parents got divorced, still impacts me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still right. hurts my heart. Yeah. It's very important. Even if the person that you're divorcing is not handling conflict well, it's going to be one of the biggest jobs slash chores of your life to show up as your best self. Absolutely. And not say Absolutely. anything terrible about their other parent. Yes. And listen, as I've said to you on many occasions, right? Like we have to keep our side of the street really clean. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, the children start to figure it out. Yeah. The children start to notice that like, huh, Dad's saying things that are making me feel like I'm in the middle of things or mom saying things that are making me feel like I have to choose sides. But like my other parent isn't doing that at all. Or one talks shit about the other parent. It makes me uncomfortable and I don't know what to say. That kind of stuff. Right. Right. And often it feels like the parent who's talking shit maybe has a little bit more input and power and control because children are absorbing Mm -hmm. um, this information. They want to make their parents happy. And they, right, exactly. The one who's asking them to choose, right? Like they're not old enough to be like, oh, that's weird. The one who's asking me to choose is the one, like I'm not choosing the one who's asking me to choose, right? Mm -hmm. They they feel like the lesson that they're giving is, oh, that parent's love is conditional upon me choosing them. And And it's a terrible position to put children in. Eventually they do figure it out. Like we're as adults, you know, hopefully not, it doesn't take that long, but they do start to see it. They start Mm -hmm. to realize where they feel comfortable, where they don't feel comfortable. It's a, it's a long game as as you have told me over Boxer many times. (laughs) It's a long game. I didn't, I didn't anticipate that. I was like, oh, it took, you know, a decade and a half to be in this relationship. It might take a minute to settle things outside of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's not. All right. Well, I love this book. I'm so glad that it got written. Um, (laughs) Thank you for being here. It's so, I'm glad that we had enough time to ask all the questions. Listeners, thank you for for being here. You know how grateful I am for your time that you choose to spend it with me and my guests. So all the links will be in the show notes, kateanthony.com slash D word, or, you know, click on the book. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey listeners, if you work for a company that does professional development, did you know that I offer leadership training, more specifically empathy and assertiveness and how it makes stronger teams. You can see more on my speaking page at andreaowen.com slash speaking, where there's also a contact button there so you can fill out that form and let's chat.
Hey everybody! It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.